Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. All right, we're about to start Bible study. I want to welcome all of you to Bible study this evening. Um, this is the final part of the study of Colossians. There is no chapter 5, <laughs> so it ends here. And if you are here this night and you started with us right from chapter 1, you are the real MVPs. Thank you so much. If this is your first time tuning in, I want to specially welcome you. You're going to have an amazing time in God's presence. You're going to have a blast, I promise you. So just um, welcome your neighbor to your left and your right and tell them, get ready for the word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. So right now, just take out your Bibles, your writing materials. We're going to study, open your Bibles to Colossians, the fourth chapter. Oh, it's going to be so beautiful. I want you to pay close attention to all that the Lord will say through this scripture. It's going to be an amazing one, I promise you. But you need to be sensitive because the Lord is speaking to you. Alright, that's the plan. He's going to speak to you directly, you know. And I want you to just be ready for the word. Before we study uh, Colossians chapter 4, before we get right into it, I want us to open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 16. Some of you saw it coming, some of you didn't. <laughs> Whatever the case is, turn your Bibles there. Second Timothy chapter 3 from verse 16. And if you don't have your Bible for a very good reason, you can just look at the chat section and I'm sure we got you, right? I want to appreciate Chair Maka for the good work she does in helping put the scriptures here. Thank you very much. Uh, so just check out the scripture and let's go together. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Second Timothy 3.16, you know it. I'm, I'm going to read it right now. It says, all scripture, all scripture, all scripture. I really wish I had time to go into what all scripture means. Um, of course, at the timing of this writing, when Paul is writing it, the book of Timothy wasn't yet done, right? Um, so he's talking about all scripture, referring to the Old Testament scripture, you know. All scripture is inspired by God. So um, he's referring to that, but then we also see that his scripture, um, Peter made reference to it, that even his scripture, the things he wrote, the, the apostles, the, their writings and their letters, are also a part of the scripture of God, inspired by God. In fact, the New Testament that we have is not just inspired by God. It was revealed by God's spirit to us. Do you understand? So, the Old Testament was was, was shared, was inspired. Men wrote it, but it was revealed in the New Testament, right? And that's where we find power in Revelation. Alright, so... So just follow me, right? Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. Now, I'm reading from the NLT, 
Um, so I'm just going to read that and I'll read the King James as well. Right. Um, it says it's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I, I like the simplicity of this of this text. It says it teaches us what is true in a world where we don't know what to do, how to act. It teaches us what is true. And to make us realize. So it's not just knowing the truth, but also identifying what is wrong in our lives. But not just does it help us realize what is wrong. It corrects us when we are wrong. So the the word of God has corrective measures. When you study the word of God, when it is taught to you, when it is read to you, or when you read it yourself, it has the power to correct you. It has the power to align you in, in, in any case where you have been living a sort of lifestyle. The scriptures have the power to realign you to the will of God. It has the power to set the course of your life on the right path. Right? So it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Righteousness. God uses this in verse 17. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now I'm going to read from the King James, what you're very familiar with. Um, it says this simply, um, all scripture, right, is given by inspiration of God. It's inspired by God and it is profitable. The scripture is profitable for what? Doctrine. Doctrine means a systematic teaching or a system or, or, or a structure of teaching. So the, the, the scriptures inform you, they give you knowledge, they teach you, they educate you. For reproof, I mentioned this countlessly, that the word here is to give evidence, to give proof. You know, but more so in a corrective manner. And that's why it goes on to say, for correction and then for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the reason why I read this to you is because I want you to realize that us studying these books we've studied, starting from chapter 1 till where we are now, is not just so that you can say, I have finished an entire book of the Bible. Yay, glory to God. What's next? <laughs> no. You let the scriptures go into you and not just pass on the other side. Let them have their perfect work in you. The scriptures are for your benefit. They're for your correction. I don't know if you have been in a situation where you're reading a scripture and a verse just kept popping out to you. You, you just couldn't go ahead. That verse was just speaking to you. It was just like, hmm, pay attention here. This is for you. This is for you. Bam, bam, an alarm going off in your mind. And then you realize that, oh, wow. So this is what the Bible says about this. Wow, I have to change my ways. Right? So let's say we, we get to a place where we are comfortable with seeing all sorts of things that don't go um, according to the will of God. For example, you see a lot of, today, to be honest, we see a lot of um, perversion in, in, in the media. We see a lot of uh, perversion in the entertainment industry. And the entertainment industry has such powerful influence over us in such ways that we don't even realize you know, and, and the, the, this, the messages they pass are subtle. I'm not saying all, all entertainment is bad, no, but I'm just saying there's some things that don't go according to the will of God. For example, the issues of, um, homosexuality, 
you know, and gender fluidity and all the rest, you start to see them in the media. And it's possible you get to a place where you're not just comfortable with seeing these things, but you're even supportive of those things without even knowing. You just start to say, I like how this person does the way they do. I like the way these guys are connected. And they're homosexuals. Now, God loves homosexuals, but he doesn't love homosexuality. And that's our position to the word of God. If you disagree with this, then you are the person I'm talking to you. I'm talking about person, uh, basically. I'm talking to you that the word of God should have its perfect work in you. To correct you. To help you see uh, beyond what society tells you. To help you see beyond what people tell you. What the media tells you. Praise the name of Jesus. So we're going to start in Colossians chapter 4. Come on guys, let's go there. Um, Colossians chapter 4 is actually... Um, a very, very, uh, compared to the other chapters, it's pretty short. So we're not going to spend too much time this evening, but I want us to explore even beyond chapter four. We're going to go to a couple of scriptures to help hit the nail on the head. All right. So let's start at chapter four. Now, remember chapter four, um, continues from chapter three, of course, (laughs) right? Um, so in chapter, in the previous chapter, we spoke about how, um, you know, last week we talked about setting your affections on the things which are above. And we gave instances of how to do that, how to set your affections on the things above. It, it's in a manner where you put to death the things of the flesh, the things of the world. You know, Paul refers to us in past tense, Right. In verse 7 of chapter 3, he talked about a couple of other things. Um, talked about um, sexual immorality, uncleanness, inordinate affection, lust, covetousness. And then in verse 7 says, in which you also walked some time when you lived in them. He referred to those things as past tense. That was your past. That says, but now put these things off. Put anger, malice, wrath. We explained each of these things last week. So in a way, you set your affections on the things above, when you put your mind or you put your life away from the things of the earth. Do you understand? Things of this world, things of, of, of your past. And then we went further to talk about how that in loving others, in forbearing with one another, in forgiving one another, that's in verse 12, verse 13, um, in, in, in forgiving those as Christ forgave you, this is how you are setting your affections on the things above. The world will tell you, don't forgive people because they've offended you this way. In fact, if anything, you don't have to reach out to them. Let them reach out to you. If anything, do your own back, you know, pay back uh, the favor, revenge. But you see, the Bible tells you, as Christ forgave you, so also forgive other people. Praise the name of Jesus. So we're just going to continue in chapter 4 from verse 1. Alright, I want you to go there with me. It says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal. Uh, So at the ending of chapter 3, he was talking about how we, you know, relate, how we interact with other people. He talked about husbands to their wives and wives to their husbands. He talks about parents to their children and children to their parents. 
talks about employers and and that's the word masters being used so more um, modern translations use the term employer how employers treat their employees all right so these th- this is how um paul is is trying to educate these people with the word of god and how to live in a way that their affections are above you know where christ is seated so it says employers give to your employees that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a, a Lord in heaven, someone who is over you, right? So, um, this is him just saying, look, masters, don't, don't cheat your employers. If they work for it, compensate them the best way you should, right? That's what he's saying. Remember, at the end of the day, um, in all our actions, we are to remember to do those things like we're doing them to Christ. You know, Christ is our reference point. He says, forgive as Christ forgave you. You love as Christ first loved you. Whatever you do, you do with Christ as the reference point. Praise the name of Jesus. All right. So verse two, it says something that I want to, I want to show you something very important in this entire chapter, something very consistent. And by the time we're done reading it, you'll see what I'm talking about. So verse 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Continue in what? In prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. It means accompany your prayer with a lot of thanksgiving. All right. It says continue in prayer, continue in prayer, continue in prayer and accompany that with thanksgiving. Verse 3 says, with all praying also for us, that God will open to us a door of utterance. Wow, that's a very funny phrase. A door of utterance. And, and that's poetic. That's, that's metaphoric, if I, if I may use that term. To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Um, so he says, continue in prayer with thanksgiving. And as you're doing that, pray for us. Who is us? Paul is talking about he and the other apostles. In fact, some of the church leaders, just like uh, Epaphras and some of the other people, Timothy, that are doing the work of ministry. He says, pray for us. That what? What are you praying about? That God would open unto us a door of, opera, of, of utterance. Call it a door of opportunity. An opportunity to even further speak the mystery of Christ. He says, for this reason, this mystery of Christ is the reason why I'm in bonds. It's why I'm in prison. And for those of you who have followed, you know that the backstory is Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians from a prison cell in Rome. So he is saying this is the, this mystery of Christ. And of course, when he says mystery of Christ, he's not saying it's still mysterious. In fact, what he's trying to say is, I want to make known the mystery that was hidden before of Christ. Do you understand? So his work is revealing the mystery, revealing the mystery. So he said, pray that we'll have more doors open to us. This is so key. We're going to come back to verse 3 because it's super important. Paul will not emphasize this if it were not important. Many of you in your heart, in the deepest parts of your heart, you really want to see the gospel prosper. Yeah, you want, really want to see that many people come to know the Lord, that people who are deep in darkness and sin 
and perversion that they actually come to surrender to God. So you, you really want that. Many of you have a heart for that. But I tell you, it cannot happen unless we come together and pray so. Unless we gather, continue in prayer and thanksgiving, praying for more doors of opportunity. I would have you know that currently in the world, we have thousands. Now, I'm not saying thousands of people. We have thousands of people groups. When I say people groups, I mean ethnicities, tribes that have not been reached with the gospel in this day and age, we have thousands of them. People have not had the privilege to know the mystery of Christ. And so by your prayer, supernaturally, you are praying the will of God on the earth. As you pray, you just start to see favor. You start to see more doors open. Whether it is Vivify Ministry that has those doors open and takes advantages of those openings. Or it's a church in this part of the world. Or a church in that place. Or a fellowship in that place. That the doors of opportunity begin to open. Doors of utterance. So that many people can hear this gospel that you have heard. It's a very powerful thing. And look at verse 4. Said that I may make it manifest. And that's what I was explaining the mystery of Christ, Paul intends to make it what? Manifest. Meaning, he's unveiling the mystery of Christ as I ought to speak. Then he now gives some counsel, right? This is so important. It says, walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Redeeming the time. What does that mean, those who are without? It means those that don't have fellowship with you. Typically speaking, unbelievers walk in wisdom towards them like be careful how you interact with them because it counts it says redeeming the time verse 6 says let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt (laughs) this is so funny that you may know how you ought to answer Every man. He said, let your speech be always with grace. By, by the word grace, it's not just talking about unmerited favor or having compassion. It means, you know when you say she's so graceful, it means the way you carry yourself is so, is so arranged, it's so organized, it's wise. Like it has that wise aura and demeanor around it. So he says, when you speak, your, 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 your words matter. So he's trying to put a close attention to the power of words. Let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt. Salt is sweet. <laughs> Imagine eating that. Imagine you see a nice plate of chicken. Like for those of you who are not vegetarians here, a nice plate of chicken. Just it looks so nice with the sauce by the side. And then you just carry it up and you bite it. And there's no salt. <laughs> what would you do? Like no seasoning, no salt, no maggi, nothing. But you, it looks so good. But you bite it and there's no taste. What would you do? It's not valuable to you. You would probably spit it out. Like what? what is this? Like is this chicken? What? Like imagine you went to a restaurant and you paid 15k for that meal. And that's what you got. Would you ask for a refund? I bet you will. So he's saying that let it be valuable, let it be 
seeding results and let it be winsome. Like let it be attractive, let it be appealing. So there's a way you can talk that would show that you know what you're saying. It's appealing, it's attractive, you know. That's how Paul is advising that people speak, especially when you are talking with unbelievers, right? And he said that you may know how you ought to answer them. And this is a very apologetic test, um, text. By apologetic, I mean um, when it refers to the defense of the faith. It says that you may know how you ought to answer every man. It means that you will anticipate people's questions Anticipate people's belief systems, anticipate people's contradictions, anticipate people's opinions, and know how you ought to answer them. That's how you speak with grace. That's how you walk in wisdom towards them, seasoned with salt. So he says, look, if we're even going to have more doors of utterance, pray for us. But even as you are praying for us, this is how you should interact with unbelievers, those who we need doors of utterance to reach. He says, when you, when you handle these people, when you interact with them, it says, let your speech be with grace. Come on, just say to yourself, my speech will always be with grace. Come on, say it like you mean, my speech will always be with grace. It will be seasoned with salt. I will walk in wisdom. Towards all men and women. <laughs> Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So that's just his counsel to people uh, as regards interacting with unbelievers. Now he goes in verse 7 to say, All my state shall Titicus declare unto you. Now he's saying, my well-being, my welfare, how I'm doing, don't worry about it. Titicus um, will... Um, declare these things unto you. Who is Titicus? Who? Tiki, sorry, I said, I keep saying Titicus. It's Tikikos. Some people say Tyka. Ah, pronounce it. Pronounce it. I dare you. <laughs> um, I, I, I pronounce it Tikikos. 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 Ah, it's so hard to say, but I'll say it anyways. Tikikos. Right? All my state shall Tikikos declare unto you. Who is a beloved brother? So he's describing who Tychicus is because these people, um, he's trying to do an introduction to them. Who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. So Tychicus is someone who is also in, in, in partnership with Epaphras who started the church in Colossae. So he's also someone who is working a faithful minister, is fellow servant in the Lord. So when you see that these are the people he was talking about when he said in verse 3, Pray for us. These are the people, the leaders, those who are expanding the kingdom of God on the earth. Right? Alright. Um, praise the name of Jesus. Uh, verse 8. Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. So he's saying, look, in other words... Tychicus or Tychicus, however you want to pronounce his name, he is literally like a welfare secretary. If I'm going to use a modern term for him, he is a modern, he is a welfare secretary, right? So he's going to tell the people how Paul is faring, even in prison or on his different missions, but he's also going to report back to Paul to, for the same purpose 
that he may know how they are doing and also meets their needs, comforts their hearts. Does that make sense? Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 9. So now he's just trying to introduce these people to the entire team, like the workforce of the church, if I put it. He's trying to introduce them to all the people that he has partnered with. <coughs> Excuse me, I need to have some water. All right. Praise God. <clears throat> so he says, with Onesimus, and you're going to see this guy again later on in Philippians, right? Um, I said Philippians, in Philemon, pardon me. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. I like the way he uses his terms for these people. He always uses the word faithful. Have you, have you noticed that? And in ministry, that is, that is so powerful. That is so powerful that he uses that term faithful it's important that in ministry the first adjective used for you amongst others is faithful that you are loyal that you are faithful to the call by which you have been called it's so valuable and and those of you who know me there's nothing that beats being faithful in ministry ah no 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 it's it's ah it's attractive oh god yeah, you're faithful in ministry. Oh, my Lord. And it says, he's a beloved brother who is one of you. Right? That means he's also a Colossian. They shall make known unto you all the things which are done here. So he's just telling them that, look, people will be reporting to you to make sure that you have all the information as to what we're doing. The reason why this is important is because he asks them to pray for him and to pray for them. Pardon me. He asked the people in color, say, pray for us. So he's saying, I'm going to be updating you guys. I mean, he wouldn't need to write this if they had some sort of WhatsApp group chats. If they had a WhatsApp group chat, Paul would just be, ah, on my way to Rome. OMG. These people are so dumb. They don't know Jesus. LOL. Bam. Oh, wow. They're about to arrest me. OMG. Help. SOS. <laughs> Send. <laughs> and he'll just be updating them. Every time, telling them what's going on, you know, at every point in time. But now he, I mean, no social media, no technology. So he has people who are going to be intermediaries, who are going to be helping translate or transmit that information. Onesimus is one of them. Tychicus is one of them. Then he talks about, verse 10, Aristarchus. This is why I'm spending time on all these people and all these things. So that when you're reading the book of Colossians again, it makes sense to you. You can see how every verse links to the next. Do you understand? So Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. <laughs> hey, this is not just a fellow servant. What? A fellow prisoner. So he's now telling them that, oh, I have some other guys with me here. He's not exactly one of you, but he's with me. My fellow prisoner. He heard about you guys. He heard all the fantastic testimonies, you know, that we received from Epaphras. And he's also greeting you. He's like excited. He can't wait to meet you guys. And Marcus... Sister's son to Barnabas. So Barnabas, uh, Marcus is sis, is <laughs> sister's son to uh, Barnabas, right? Um, how do you put that in modern day English? Sister's uh, sister's son <laughs> to Barnabas, right? So um, simply put, Marcus is is also a partner in ministry, right? And he's basically Barnabas's cousin, right? 
his sister's Barnabas's sister's son, or how do I put it? Um, and by the way, Mark Marcus is Mark, right? He's Mark, the guy Mark that wrote the book of Mark. All right, so that's the guy. He's Barnabas's cousin. Barnabas was a partner with Paul in ministry. All right, so um, when well, we we can say he's the nephew. Um, mm, let me see. He should be the nephew. Um, he should be the nephew. Uh, most translations refer to him as cousin. So I believe this is like. Um, hmm, let me see. It's kind of like how the it's it's the phrase of King James sister's son. I think by sister, they mean auntie, right? I, I believe that's what that that's what is meant, you know, an auntie um, of Barnabas, because the actual translations refer to Mark as the cousin of Barnabas. Okay, so uh, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> so Mark is Barnabas's cousin. So you can see how many times, even in the things of God, it's a family affair, right? The disciples of Jesus, you, re, you, you see that Andrew and Pete, Andrew and, and Simon, Peter, were brothers and they did the work of ministry. Uh, you have, uh, James and John, the sons of, um, of Zebedee. Um, those guys were also brothers, right? So it's always usually a family affair when it comes to ministry. It's, it's beautiful that way. And it's a call that in everything we do, don't leave those in your immediate family out of it. Some of you are more eager to reach out to those who are outside your family. You want to preach to them. But the people in your house, they don't know these things. They are not growing with you. You have neglected them. You have not involved them in the work of ministry. You've not, you've not involved them in the place of fellowship. You want to pray. You say, ah, don't disturb me. Let me go and pray in my own room. Don't disturb me. Stay your own lane. Whereas you could actually call them to join you. And if they won't, you stay on their case. You win them over. Let your your words be seasoned with salt, with full of grace, so that as you speak to them with wisdom, they're, they're just attracted to what you're saying. You present God in a way that is not laborious. You present Him in a way that is not tedious or boring, but exciting. Someone who commands your attention and your affection. And they see that in you and they will join. Do you understand? So don't neglect those in your family. Don't neglect them. Praise the name of Jesus. All right. So look at, uh, let me see. Where are we? Verse 10. So Mark, um, Barnabas's cousin, touching whom you received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. So he's talking about the, uh, some, you received some instructions from even, uh, Marcus. Um, and if he comes to you, please receive him. So, um, you know, the reason why Paul is doing this is because there are some people, there are some people that he had warned them against. You know, he warned them about people who would come in, who would try to bring up a legalistic system to introduce the law of Moses again. And he talks about false teachers warning them, don't listen to these people who don't claim that Jesus is God and all the rest. So he's trying to let them know that there will be some people that will come. So these are people that are validated. Do you understand? I've given them a thumbs up. 
they can come and speak to you and give instructions on my behalf and they are fine verified i trust these people he says they are faithful that's why he calls them faithful they are faithful to the message do you see how this works now so he's just letting them know that look you can accommodate these people and he says and jesus which is also called justice <laughs> and i saw this i was like ah wait 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 what jesus again like i like what what what's happening but it, it's, I mean, if, if you were a Mexican, you, you'll call him Jesus, right? Um, which is called Justice. So he explained that his name is Justice, right? Um, who are of the circumcision. So when you, when you hear who are of the circumcision, it means they are Jews. These only are my what? Fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort to me. He says, these only are my, why did he say that? Now, what about Luke? What about Peter? What about the other apostles? Why is he saying this? He's saying this specifically to these people because these are the people he knows will be involved in the ministry at Colossae. Do you understand? One, one way or the other, they'll be involved with the Colossians and their growth and their development. So he's saying, these are the only people I can certify and give a thumbs up that they are, go- they are going to be a comfort to you and me. If there's anybody else coming saying I'm from Paul, don't welcome them. They are not from me. So that's why he was doing this. So very, very important. But I want us now, this is where it gets very, very interesting. I'm, and I'm going to take us to other scriptures to just hit a point and drive it home. So look at this. Ah, this is beautiful. Every time I read this, it's so powerful. Are you ready? We're going to have a, a stretch read from verse 12 to the end. And then we'll branch at some other scriptures. So Epaphras, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you? Now, he had introduced Epaphras in chapter 1, I believe verse 7, because Epaphras was the one who started the church. He and Paul were doing ministry, but because Paul had to um, to be uh, incarcerated, arrested, um, Epaphras went ahead to continue the work and went to his hometown, Colossae, right, which is bordered by Laodicea, you know, and, and, and Nymphas, and um, the other places, right? And Hierapolis. Um, so he went to this place to set up church. So Paul is talking about him again. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ. I love the way he he introduces these people. And, and to my heart, that's how I wish to introduce those committed to the work of the ministry. A faithful brother, a faithful sister, a servant of Christ. It says he salutes you. <laughs> See that? Meaning Epaphras, like I mentioned, was, was basically uh, most likely not with them at the time. Do you understand? Epaphras went to visit Paul in prison. Some say he was also arrested at the time and was taken to Rome because Colossae was a Roman territory. So you'll be taken to the Roman prison. So he g- gave feedback whatever the case is, to Paul. So he was with Paul at the time. So he's saying, look, Epaphras is here with me and he's greeting you. He salutes you. Always. Now, this, ah, this is where it gets interesting. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand. And, and many of you know that this is one of my favorite verses. I love it. 
He doesn't just tell you that he's praying. What is he praying about? He's praying that you will stand perfect. It's synonymous to the word you will stand mature. Spiritual maturity. That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. There is, I mean, tell me, what is better than that? That you are mature in the faith and you are walking consistently and completely in all the will of God. Tell me what beats that. And he says, he, look at the terms. I want us to break this down. He does this how many times? Always. How does he do it? Laboring fervently. Laboring fervently. What is he praying about? For your spiritual maturity. And walk in the will of God. Do you see that? How many times always? How does he pray? Laboring fervently. What is he praying about? Spiritual maturity. So there is there is an attitude with which he prayed. It wasn't a lazy prayer. It wasn't just, oh, it's true. There's some guys in Colossae. Ah, Lord, keep them. God bless them. In the name of Jesus, their daily bread, their daily bread is supplied. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I soak them in the blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus. I pray that, Lord, you keep them. The sun shall not spoil them by day, nor the moon by night. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. <laughs> no. He said always that these guys were at the top and at the bottom, at the front, at the back of his mind every time. And so he prayed for them always. And it was a fervent prayer. You could tell that they meant something to him. These were his these were the people he birthed in the faith. They were dear to him. And so he labored fervently. And the word labor just tells you he he went beyond what normal prayers would would, would look like. He strived. He prayed. There were times he didn't feel like he prayed. There were times he was so encumbered with other things, he prayed. There were times he was meant to sleep, he prayed, stayed awake, labored. Imagine how Paul uses the word labor to describe prayers. Ah, that's beautiful. Look at verse 13. So Paul is not just speaking based on on assumption or hypothesis. He's saying, for I bear him record. I'm a witness to this. I have seen it. I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you. A great passion. A great passion. This is powerful. This is powerful. And and, and I, I, I just want to use this as a wake up call. To let you realize that when it comes to your brothers and sisters in the faith, when it comes to your fellow vivifying members, this is not a thing that you take lightly. Now, it's easy for you to say, oh, of course, he was going to set up the church. I mean, he should be concerned. No, he's setting an example for all to follow. That you have a zeal for the rest of the gang. That you have a zeal, a passion, a love, a fiery passion, a furious love towards these people that you call brother and sister. Because believe you me, believe you me, I tell you this, 
that you might have friends, you might have, you know, people you call family, but I tell you, nothing beats your spiritual family. You will be with them forever. (laughs) Believe it or not. You will be with them forever. Praise the name of Jesus. You will be with them forever. For all, think about that. There's some people, it's even possible that there's some people in the faith who are Christians and you're having beef with them. You're going to see them for the rest of your life. I hope you realize <laughs> you're going to be with them for the rest of your life. Never die gang. You will say, you put hashtag never die gang. But you are fighting on the earth. You are fighting. <laughs> and not even just fighting, you neglect them. You don't pray about them. You don't check up on them. You don't care about them. But not Epaphras. No, not Epaphras. He said he has a great zeal for you, Colossians, and even for them in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. These are the neighboring cities to Colossae. He has a zeal for them. Oh, oh, this is beautiful. Verse 14. So he, he, he goes on to now talk about some of the other people that partner with him in the ministry. They might not exactly be fully involved with the Colossian church, right? But he's just letting them know who these people are. So he introduces Luke, the beloved physician. (laughs) The beloved physician. I like that term. So endearing. Beloved physician. Uh, Typically, Luke was a medical doctor, right? He, He was a medical doctor. But more so, he was also a very talented um, narrator uh, and rancontur. He was a very, very skilled storyteller. And that's why you realize that the book of Luke, you know, the gospel of Luke, the co- gospels according to Luke is one of the most elaborate, elaborate scripture out of all the gospels. Very well written. A lot of details there that compensate for those not in other gospels. Very, very lovely. And then Demas, many of you know this name for different reasons. And Demas, these guys do what? They greet you. Then he says, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. So this is a specific um, message to these guys in Colossae. Salute the brethren that are in Laodicea and Nymphas and the church which is in his house, right? So they were having churches in how in people's houses in those days. People had church in their houses, right? They didn't have to erect a, a large building they were having what you would call cell fellowship. So it says, greet these guys for us. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that ye be read also in the church of Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So simply he's saying, I've written this epistle to you, but make sure the Laodiceans read it, right? And we also wrote a letter to the Laodiceans. You also read from what we've written to them, Right? Um, it's most likely going to be very similar to Colossians, according to what we see. I, I haven't seen the actual episode. I don't know if it was written. It wasn't included in the canon of scripture. Um, but I believe it's to be very similar to what he wrote here to the Colossians. Right? Verse 17, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. So Archippus is a brother amongst them. Who has a call of God on his life into leadership of the church and saying, tell him to take heed to the ministry which he has received in the Lord. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. And there's some of you here who have a ministry that you have received in the Lord. Take heed to it that you may what? Fulfill it. 
There might be prophecies that went ahead of you. People might have shared words of knowledge with you that there's a job you have to do. There's a role you have to play in, 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 the, in the body of Christ. It says, take heed, like pay attention to it now. Nurture it. Give it the attention it deserves. Fuel it so that you will fulfill it. And then verse 18, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. That's how he closes it. But we're not going to close here. I want us to see something, right? Paul mentioned verse 3 where he says, "In as you continue in prayer, pray for us. He shows something, an example of such with Epaphras, where Epaphras labored fervently in prayers for them. Where, where did this idea come from? This laboring, if I may use the term, this laboring of love. Now, let's check out Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Now, get ready to open a couple of scriptures before we close um, for this night. Hebrews chapter 6, from verse 10. I want you to open it very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. And I want to just let you know that there are some things that God takes very personally. Very personally. Right? Um, I want you to see it this way. Many times, um, this is how God God's perspective is. Whatever it is you do to his people, he sees it like you are doing it to him. Do you understand? Whatever you are doing to people, his people, he sees it like you are doing it to him. I'll give you an example, right? So, remember um, that um, scripture that is used very very um expressly for um that's just very expressly for tithe for example where he says um when god was speaking in malachi 3 where he was saying you all have robbed me and he said you might ask how have we robbed you and he says in tithes and offerings the question is how can you rob god think about it if you were to rob god how would you rob god what would you do You'll get a very nice gun. It has to be a celestial gun, right? Made specifically for killing a spirit or um, keeping his keeping his spirit hostage to to inspire fear. You have to find your way to heaven, right? You have to find where the vault is, and you have to whatever the case, whatever your mind goes to, it's impossible. It's, it's how can you rob God, right? Is there anything you can do? Any weapon so great to keep him hostage or, or threaten him with? No. So the question is, how do you rob God? And and this is what um, um, I would say about that. It's because the people were supposed to give their tithes to the Levitical priests. The priests had no portion of land. They didn't have any place to stay. They only worshipped in the temple. So they were required to give it, 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 you know 10% of their incomes their 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 profit and give to the levites from all the different tribes to sustain them to feed them do you understand and so because they were not doing that they were robbing god because they robbed his people i i don't know if that makes sense now in fact there's another time um jesus used something very similar and he said he was talking about the sheep and and the goats and he was saying um, that's in Matthew chapter 25, um, verse 31. I'll just read it very quickly where he talked about 
um, when the Son of Man comes um, in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And that, that, that's just a picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? That's just the idea. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd sh- separates, I said the shepherd separates, oh Lord, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Right? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, you know, and, you know, and all of that. And it says, uh, let me see. It says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me drink to eat, to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me and the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When was I, I? I can't recall. I don't remember giving you bread to eat or wine to drink. You know, I, I don't remember any of this. When? And verse 40, the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I Let me let that sink in. I tell you, whatever you did, For one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Verse 40. That is powerful. The king will reply. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Oh, that is powerful. Whatever you did. For one of the least of the brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. That is so powerful. It means when you do the things that you do to God's people, God sees it like you are doing it to him. That's how personal God is with his people. Ah, and this means by a long shot, you must not joke with the people that are called of God. You cannot as long as they are called by the name of the Lord, hey, they are personal to God. Hallelujah. And thankfully, you are the called of God. So you are personal to God. Praise the name of Jesus. Like you are God's personal person. <laughs> Hallelujah. So he takes you pee. He takes you pee. That should be tweeted somewhere. God takes you pee. Like he literally takes you so personally. That whatever is done to you, he feels it. And that's why when people in the world, believers are persecuted, like, like in the days of, of Saul, Saul persecuted the Christians and look at Jesus appearing to him. Saul, why do you persecute me? Did Saul ever persecute Jesus physically? No. But he was persecuting the people of God. And Jesus said, you are persecuting me in so doing. So it, how you relate with the brothers and the sisters in the body of Christ matters to God. It does. Don't you dare think for one second that it doesn't. It does. It matters to God. Praise the name of Jesus. Ah! <laughs> Message has ended. I mean, we can just stop right there. But basically what I'm trying to let you know is that God takes you personally. So how you interact with a fellow brother sister matters 
to God. Praise the name of Jesus. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 where we're meant to go. There's a phrase that was used and I really love that phrase. Which is the title of the teaching this evening. Right? Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 10. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name. In that's what? So he, he says, God is not righteous to forget your, your, your work and labor of love. That's why that narrative, nothing that was said in Matthew 25 that we said, uh, that we just read, that God will not forgive, he will forget your works and labor of love. That, that's, that's what he's, he's referring to here. God will see your works. He sees it. So your works are important. It says, which you have shown towards his name. And that, that's similar to what we talked about. Whatever you do, you do it in the name of the Lord, right? You have done this labor of love, which you have shown his, towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints. And do minister. That means in the past you ministered to them and you still do minister to them. Do you see that? Do you you see that? Praise the name of Jesus. So he says, God is not unrighteous to forget your your work and labor of love. I love that phrase, labor of love. He explains what that labor of love is. It's in the way you minister to the saints. The way you serve the saints. The word minister... It's not just by saying you are laying hands on them or you are doing this or pouring anointing oil. Ministering to the saints simply means meeting their needs, whether spiritual need or material material need. Similar to what we just saw in Matthew 25, where you feed those who are hungry, you give them drink. When they are thirsty, you clothe them when they are naked. Do you understand? So that's the idea. It says you minister to them. So that is a labor of love. And it means serving the saints is not just in just meeting those needs. It also um, transcends to the place of prayer. Right? In fact, that's how you meet their spiritual needs. When you, you in the place of prayer, it, it also extends to spiritual gifts, right? Many times. But you see, the place of prayer is very, very powerful. And I want to show you the emphasis of prayer that Paul was making in, in Colossians chapter 4. Before we close. We'll just check a couple of scriptures. And we'll call it a night. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 18 to 19. Let's go there very quickly. Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 18 to 19. I really hope you're paying attention. If right now you are doing something else. And you're trying to. Um, if you really can um, stop that. And focus on this. That would be amazing. So that you, you're really focused on the word. It's very important that you do. Alright, verse 18. It says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Do you see that? So it says, Praying always. It's similar to what he said in Colossians. where right? It says, Continue in prayer. Do you see, he's wrapping up even the book of Ephesians, you know, the last chapter, with this instruction, just like he's wrapping up Colossians chapter 4, with the same instruction to continue in prayer. So he's saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance. That means, <laughs> look at how he, 
he describes it. You're watching with all perseverance. Watching means being conscious, being alert, you know, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You're praying for the saints, right? That's how you minister to the saints. It's, this is a labor of love. Verse 19, and for me, pray for me as well. Like he said in Colossians 4, pray for us. That utterance may be given. Do you see how similar they are? That and like I explained to you, Colossians and Ephesians were written um, around the same time. All right. So he says, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Do you see how similar that is? <laughs> it's beautiful. He says that doors of utterance, utterance may be given unto me, that I may be. I may open my mouth boldly to make known the, the mystery of Christ. This is a labor of love. It's an instruction to you to pray for the saints and to pray for the ministers of God, those who will spread the gospel even more. As much, yes, we are all called to this commission, but there are people specifically a place in a, in a, in a position of leadership who are going to champion the gospel in more places. And you are to pray for them. There are missionaries out there. He's asking that you pray for them. There are church planters. There are local churches that are also um, having an apostolic edge. Pray for them. Pray for them. So that there will be utterance given to them to speak boldly. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 5 from verse 25. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 from verse 35. From verse 25, I beg your pardon. Verse 25, very simple verse, very short. It says, brethren, pray for us. <laughs> it, that, no, that's it, I kid you not. Brethren, pray for us. But then in, in the next letter he wrote to the Thessalonians, in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, from verse 1. He says something very, very, very powerful there. Right? He says, finally, brethren... Pray for us. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So he says, pray for us. You see that term again. Pray for us. Labor for us in prayer. That the word of the Lord may have free course, may have similar doors of opportunity, doors of utterance and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all men have faith. So he's also talking about that. You know when he, he said in Colossians that you walk in wisdom to those who are without. This is similar that we'll have wisdom and we'll also be delivered from those who are unreasonable. Those who are, of, are not of the faith. If you see a, repeti a repetitive um, instruction in these epistles. To pray for the saints and to pray for the missionaries, to pray for the ministers of God. Um, I'll read Romans fifteen thirty quickly. Romans fifteen verse thirty, very very powerful, and then we're going to open to Second Corinthians chapter one verse eleven. All right, so let's let's see Romans fifteen verse thirty. It says, "Now I beseech you, I plead with you, I beg you, brethren." For the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. <laughs> As you know, some people say for Christ's sake, for Jesus' sake, for the Lord's sake, for God's sake. This one 
is serious that Paul said, so serious he said, I beseech you. Then he said, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, fool, <laughs> and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Ah, we see that evidence here. We see it here. We see, he said, if you have, like for this, for Christ's sake and for the love that you have in the spirit, that you strive together with me. The word strive indicates labor, perseverance. There is work to be done in the place of prayer. You strive together with me in your prayers. So this is a labor of love as a result of the love that you have in the spirit. Pray. It's a labor of love. And we're going to see Second Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 11. Second Corinthians 1 verse 11. It says, You also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gifts bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Now, this sounds very confusing. So I'll use a simpler translation. And it, it starts from verse 10, right? Something happened. There were cases where Paul was faced... Paul and his, and his companions were faced with mortal danger. They were in trouble. They were shipwrecked. They were persecuted. So I'll just read that from verse 10. It says, and he did rescue us. Talking about God. He did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. Very powerful confidence. That's, it. that's the, that's the um, assurance that we should have even as we preach the gospel. God is faithful. He's able to rescue us. And sometimes... Um, as things may, may happen, persecution may um, may be so um, terrible that it might lead to mortal danger, like someone being killed. But God is is faithful to rescue, right? Verse eleven, He says, "And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety." That's what He's saying. Right for the gift bestowed upon us, the gift bestowed upon us that he 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 mentions from the King James rendition is that gift of preservation. You know that he sustained them, and because of that, many people will have cause to give thanks God, give God thanks more because the gospel will even move if, uh, further. Right, so he said, "You prayed for us." He said, "You also helping, right? You are helping us when you pray for us." So what I'm trying to show is that look, prayers go a long way. Your prayers go a long way. Your contribution to the growth of others, it goes a long way. People matter. To be honest with you, what I see many times in in, in Christian circles is a lot of self-centeredness. We, we, I find that a lot of people don't spend time praying for the next guy. If you have a prayer list, who is on your prayer list? Many times when you go before the Lord, what are you asking for? Are you just praying about your assignments, your projects, your schoolwork, your career, your family, like your immediate family, your father, your mother, your, your brother. Is that all you're praying about? Do you take time to pray for people who you just met, someone you just witnessed to and prayed and, and evangelized? So do you pray for them? Do you pray for your course mates? Do you pray for Vivify members? Some of you are in grow groups. Do you pray for your grow group members? So a lot of times, a lot, there's just a lot of neglect for those who are called saints. But it matters to God, like I said. This is how 
you show your labor of love. It, it, it might not be convenient every time because things that involve labor are not always convenient. I promise you. You might not even feel like in that moment. But he said you will strive together. You will pray. You will pray because of your love in the spirit. You will pray for the next person. You will pray for your brother and for your sister in Christ. Praise the name of Jesus. It's so important. And I want to read the scripture to give better perspective on this. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 3 to 5. This is the last scripture we're going to read. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 3 to 5. I want you to open your Bibles. Very, very powerful scripture. Very, very important. Philippians 2 verse 3 to 5. I'm reading from a simpler translation. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, right, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not look... Sorry, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had. This is powerful. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it again. It says, do nothing. You know, the King James says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Right? But the NIV here that I'm reading says, do nothing out of selfish ambition in everything you do. Don't just think about you. The world does not revolve around you. There is more. There are more important things around you. Yes, I said it. There are. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In everything you're doing, are you always trying to just look out for yourself? Are you always just trying to make sure you get the best I was looking, I, I, it starts from the smallest things. I promise you. When this scripture really hit me, in fact, it, it really hit me in such a way that I started to practice it with my brother. I remember that if there was something that, that came, maybe there was a food pack, as small as that, food packs came into the house. Maybe we bought something or, and all of that. And the things I would consider for myself as good for me, that I want to have this, I must get this. I'll start to do that for him whether he does the same back to me or not i will do it for him and i was giving him the big piece of chicken every time you know of course when he was now not doing the same and he was just feeling entitled that ah yes i should i mean i'm the bigger brother i should be having he started to change my mind more <laughs> but no i continued uh i i resolved i went back to the scripture to reemphasize that so that even when the bigger things come I applied the same mindset. Alright? So he says, In humility, value others above yourself. In humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest every time me, myself, and I. No. But each of you should look to the interest of others. Have you ever once asked someone, what would you like? What would you like? It's not about what I want right now. It's about what do you want? Have you ever put a pause on self-centeredness and narcissism and look to other people and say, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I do this to you? Have you ever gotten to a place where you are conscious of other people's needs before yours? 
Yes, you might not have so much at the time, but are there other people who have much more need than you do? Have you ever thought to look to their needs, to labor in love towards them? This scripture is powerful. It says, in your relationship with one another, said, have the same mindset that Jesus had. And he explains in the, in the latter verses how Jesus did that when he put us first. He put us before himself. It was him before, it was us before him. He did that for us when he became a lowly servant, born in a manger, the lowest form of humanity, stripped himself of divine privileges so that he would die the death that we deserved. Praise the name of Jesus. He humbled himself to the cross, the Bible says. And that's the place we need to get. That in all our dealings, we learn to put other people first, especially in the place of prayer. That we labor for other people. We spend time praying always, laboring fervently for other people in prayer. Having a zeal for people, having a passion for people, that you just want the best for others. Even if things don't seem to be working out for you, that you look to the interests of others, you celebrate their successes as you believe for yours. Do you understand? That is how you labor in love. It doesn't say the, the emotion of love. The word used, the phrase used was not emotion of love or feeling of love. It was labor of love because love in itself is an action. It starts from a decision, translates into an action. Praise the name of, it's not just feelings. I don't feel like I love the, that's out of the picture for the believer. <laughs> Praise the name of Jesus. You make a decision and it translates to an action. I choose to love you. And it's not because I are dependent on if you return the love or you return the gesture. It doesn't matter whether you overlook or you notice that I did made these sacrifices for you. It doesn't matter. This is my contribution to you. Because at the end of the day, the way you relate to people is like you are doing it unto the Lord, like I mentioned. Praise the name of Jesus. It's so important. We need to adopt this lifestyle. The world will expect self-centeredness. Uh, you need to hustle. Oh. You need to hustle. Everybody is hustling. Mind your business. It's you. This is your life. Oh. Don't let anybody deceive you. It's about you. No. That mentality will keep you in a box that God doesn't want you to be. A self-centered box. One of pride. And many people don't realize that this is a form of pride when it's just you you're thinking about. It's pride. When it's just you you're thinking about. So when you put others before you, it's a show of humility. It's a show of love. It's a show that you value the things that God values because God values your brothers and sisters in Christ so much so that anything you do to them is seen like you're doing it to him. So don't you realize that your every action to the brother and sister you have in Christ means the world to the Lord. Don't you see that? Don't you see that when you put them first, it means you are putting God first and the things that he values first. It's powerful and it's important. So you need to let the word of God this night change your lifestyle. Let it configure your life to a place of selflessness. Let it transform your life for a selfless living, you know, lifestyle to, to, to make you realize that people matter. The life of one person, it matters. The life of one person, it matters. It can count for the gospel. There were people, 
people who have changed this world, people like Billy Graham, the, who was known as America's pastor, great one of the greatest evangelists of walked the earth, who preached to who had reached millions of people throughout his lifetime. This man, people prayed for him. He had his his mother pray for him. Through that, he somehow got saved during a crusade. And because of one man, many millions of people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. One life matters. One life matters. Pray for those that you see are championing the work of ministry. Pray for those who are in need. Every life counts. Labor in prayer. You might not be on, we are not be comfortable. It might, it might be out of your comfort zone, but push on. Labor in prayers. Pray for your brother. Pray for your sister in Christ. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the ministers. Pray. Labor in prayer. Sometimes you don't even need to make requests that, Lord, I want this. Lord, give me. Lord, I want. Just handle everything with thanksgiving. Put others before you. God will take care of your needs, I promise you. Praise the name of Jesus. I want us to just go to the Lord in prayer. And just say, Lord, this is you taking a stand. This is you making that decision to labor in love. Lord, help me to put others before me. Lord, help me to put others first. Lord, help me to take this seriously, to labor in love towards my, 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 my brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me to pray for them. Help me to put them first. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I put them before me. I humble myself now and I put these people before me. I put my Vivify family before me. I put my immediate family before me. I put my friends before me. I put my classmates before me. I put them to you, Lord. Oh, Lord, I labor for them much more. I would labor more and more for them in prayer. I would pray. I would minister to them. I would meet their needs. I will bless them however I can because it's not about me. It's not about me. I do this out of love and for your name's sake. I do this out of love and for your name's Come on, begin to make those declarations, those action steps that you're going to take by the grace of God. Come on, begin to declare it, Lord. I put people before me. I put their interest before mine. In everything that I do, this is the life I have. This is the mindset, the same mindset that you had. I adopt that mindset. I adopt that mindset where I labor in love because you value it. You value your people. And so I value your people of which I am a part of. Lord, I value your people. I value the body of Christ. I value their interest. I value their needs and I supply their needs in the name of Jesus. Lord, use me as a vessel to labor in love for your people that I will spend hours in prayer. I will spend minutes in prayer. I will spend time immersed in prayer for these ones who are called by your name. In the name of Jesus. Lord, this is my spiritual family. So I take them personally. 
We will live for all eternity. So I take them personally. We are bonded by one spirit. So I take them personally. We were all washed by your blood. So I take them personally. In the name of Jesus. I put them before I put myself. I will check up upon them. I will check up on them. I will check on their welfare. To see how they are doing. I will pray for them. I will meet their needs. Even without being asked. In the name of Jesus. This is my lifestyle. A selfless lifestyle. One that I do all in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I will labor in love, Lord. I will labor in love. In the name of Jesus. Without restriction. Without regret. In the name of Jesus. Not expecting anything in return. I will labor in love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. And precious Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for this understanding that we have of how seriously you take your people. Thank you, Lord, because we see all of our scripture that your people, they are your bride. You take them, it's Christ and the church. We are the bride of Christ. You take them personally. And so, Lord... I adopt the same lifestyle that you have, the same mindset that you have. All of us here, we will live in a manner where we put others before us, where we live selfless lives, where we labor in prayer for your people and for the spread of the gospel. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we all will be participants, active participants in the spread of the gospel. We will not just spread the gospel through preaching, but we'll also spread it through prayers. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we declare that there are doors of utterance being opened to us right now. In the name of Jesus, doors of utterance. First and foremost, for this ministry that you have placed into our hands, Vivify Ministries, the vision you have called us to, to see all hearts, all hearts awakened to the finished work of Christ. It's a big task, but Lord, we pray for doors of utterance, doors of opportunity that we might speak the mystery of Christ with all boldness. Oh Lord, we pray for such grace in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray also by extension, those who are committed to the spread of the gospel, the missionaries, the apostles, the evangelists, all those who have given their, their, their lives for this cause. We pray for more doors of opportunity, that more people will be reached with the precious message of the gospel, the good news of the resurrection and, and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray this. We pray this from the depths of our hearts. We are, we are no longer selfish. We no longer live our lives for ourselves, but we put others before us now and forever. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Such an awesome time we've had. So, so beautiful. Thank you so much for joining in. I really do hope you've been blessed. I really do hope that the words you've heard will start something within you to look outside of yourself and look to others, to see them better, to see them well, to see them prosper. Praise the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
and thank you all for being present i love you i am super confident that this has been a blessing to you keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of god for your life stick around for more god bless you i love you